after I finished my PhD, I had been sitting in this chair for so long writing what felt like forever that literally the night that I turned in my final copy of my dissertation, I spun my chair around and I looked at my husband. I was like, I'm going for a run. I just have to move my body. And it was like 930 at night and we had a treadmill. Neither of us used it. Neither of us were running. I don't even know how or why we had this treadmill, but we had it. And I went on the treadmill and I was horrible at it. I was just like totally sucking wind. And it's kind of again, like one of those weird things of how you kind of come full circle with this thing that I absolutely hated and didn't want to do to a thing that I was forced to do, but kind of found a little spark of this. This is kind of great in some regards. And now here I am doing it, not only because I love it, but because it truly brings out not only the best in me, but it constantly makes me want to be better and do better in all aspects of life. It just makes me want to do more, serve more, be more. And that's like, I just can't imagine not being that way and having that drive. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 57 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Melissa Milani's running journey from 512 marathoner to 327 marathoner and two times Boston Marathon finisher has been incredibly impressive. It's been a circuitous route filled with huge challenges that nearly ended where it started. In college, while in a toxic, controlling relationship, her ex pushed her to run and closely monitored what and how much she was eating. That kind of trauma leaves scars. It could have broken her will and permanently damaged her relationship with food and running, but thankfully it made her stronger and more resilient. After finishing her dissertation and feeling like she was permanently glued to a chair, Melissa felt the impetus to jump on the treadmill at 9.30 p.m. at night. Winded and struggling to breathe, she has asthma, she pushed through and began to reframe her relationship with running. Melissa on Running Today. It truly brings out not only the best in me, but constantly makes me want to be better and do better in all aspects of life. It makes me want to do more, serve more, be more. I just can't imagine not being that way and having that drive. We discuss healing from a toxic relationship, healthy relationships with food and running, how these things and having a child with special needs shaped her drive, energy, spirit, and service for others pushing through the tough and dark spots to get to the light. Race experiences, coaching, mentors, fueling, mantras, goal setting, community service, and giving back. Melissa's story is so inspiring, and I'm excited to follow along on her big goals to get faster and have more impact in her community as a speech-language pathologist. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good afternoon, Melissa Milani. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. 
excited for you to be here. We uh we crossed paths in the Boston Marathon, but you're a little snobbish with your friends cruising by, <laughs> like pretending like you didn't know me, threw the turbo jets on and said, nope, we're not going to chat with Ron Runs NYC. We'll save it. And then he'll ask me to come on the podcast. So it all worked out in the end, right? We need a redo in April. How about that? <laughs> oh, I'm, total, I'm totally here for it. I'm there in April. And yes, hopefully you and many of your friends will just run up on me and you know trip me or throw something at me. <laughs> I enjoy when people distract me or do stuff. When I play golf with my friends, they like throw tea markers at me in the middle of my backswing <laughs> or try to do things to get me to unravel. But I'm just like, that's all you got? Come on, man, bring it. So yeah, next we'll have time. We'll to get a, a course selfie next time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. And it's all going down in April. So you still feeling that Boston 125th glow? You look like it in the oh. Zoom screen. So how how you feeling right now, girl? Yeah, still feeling it. My quads are still feeling it too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I Boston is one of those races, man, that just it lingers with you the whole weekend, the people, the energy, all of it. It's like enough to carry you through. And uh, I told my friends, I was like, no matter what I do, don't let me sign up for anything else while I'm in this like post marathon, you know, honeymoon kind of thing. Oh, I just love it. I love it all. And I can't wait to come back in April. I hope I can come back in April. Let me put it that way. I shouldn't jinx things. <laughs> you're A, you're coming back. B, take the credit cards away. Um, right. <laughs> runners are dangerous. Runners are very dangerous when they're trolling websites at night and they're talking about how much pain they're in and they suffer. But all of a sudden, a marathon entry form pops up on the screen and it seems like a great idea, or maybe in my case, an ultra marathon, because let's step it up even further and let's hit that enter button. Let's get the economy going because it's all good, man. <laughs> right. But yeah, you hit on some good points because Boston is a very different beast. It's a different animal. And, you know, marathon courses are so dramatically different, how they present themselves, where's the elevation in the course? Is it a lot of uphill? Is it a lot of downhill? But the way Boston works, you know, you have so many rolling downhills and it's people look at the elevation and they think it's straight downhill. They, they haven't run the course. So they don't know. It's, it doesn't seem like it's really downhill. Sure. You know, you're going faster and you know, you're putting less effort in, but you certainly have rises on the other side. It's not like you're just going down, but after Newton falls and you take the huge drop, you know, from there on, crossing up that giant overpass, which is my least favorite hill on the course, I, I drop <laughs> a lot of F-bombs right there because it seems like you just never really make it up to the overpass. Yeah. It seems like somebody, it's an escalator and it's moving and you're actually going in the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> and you finally actually make it up and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? This doesn't even count on the hills listed. It doesn't even get counted. I and know nobody talks about it. And I would say it all the time to my running friends here. I'm like, listen, there's five. We count five, especially being from Florida, where literally a 10 foot incline is a hill for us. I'm like, no, no. And the first one, I'm like, it's like half a mile long. It's forever long and nobody mentions it. So uh, even when we were on the course, after we got to the end of it, I was like, that's one, <laughs> no matter what anybody says. <laughs> you heard it, people. Melissa's stating facts. We're going to do a new course guide. It's Ron Runs NYC and is a marathoner. It's coming out soon. We're going to work on it. And she's going to make a reel to crack everybody up and have all the stuff going on. Like this morning when she's talking about the weather, you know, being Florida cooperative and she's not ready to run yet. So the first day back, she'll be ready to run. It'll be 96 and like 90.1% humidity, which we were greeted with that 89 or 90% humidity come race day. But I 
honestly, it didn't bother me that much. Did you feel it a lot or you weren't feeling it that much? No, I think if there's a, not even a silver lining, like a platinum lining to running in Florida all summer long is we were kind of like, it got hot and and yes, we felt it, but it was nothing like what a lot of people described they experienced. And I'm like, yeah, because for us, the dew point was still way lower. <laughs> yeah. <was> great. <laughs> I think that's a great it's a great point to hit on because we try to train the best we can to simulate ourselves for the course conditions and the weather conditions. But we really, the weather is almost impossible unless you live in the desert or you live in Texas or warmer parts of Cali, you know, you really can't get that weather. And what I do here, and a lot of my friends always be like, why would you do your long run at like one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon? I'm like, I'm planning to prepare myself to run in the hottest day ever, just in case it happens. I don't know that it's going to happen, but I know if it doesn't happen, if I can run 20 miles in that heat and humidity, then I'm going to be able to handle whatever else gets thrown my way. Um, yep. So that's like one of those things, but you're right, man. You get that one hill there. And then of course at, at the firehouse, like 17 and a half is where I always tell everybody the real race in Boston starts at that right-hand turn. Everything up to land has just been a stroll. You're rolling, feeling like a badass. And it's like, all right, let's see what you really have, man. Make the turn <laughs> and let's see what's up. Let's so many people are still smiling after they get punched in the gut a few times. And that first hill when you hit the Newton Hills, number one in the chain, which actually is really number two, which we both know, obviously <laughs> it's not been handled properly to this point and we're going to rectify the situation. But that first hill in Newton is a bitch. Yes. It's worse than heartbreak. If you ask me, I'm sorry, but, and in fact, my friends that were with me, they were like, I just kept saying, they're my rabbits. I'm following them. If I can hang with them on these hills, I'm going to be okay. At the top of heartbreak, they turned to each other and was like, that was heartbreak. I'm like, yes, go run. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I agree with you. Like heartbreak hurts because it's the last one and it's pretty steep and you're just over it. But I I agree with you. Number two or what they call number one is a, a worst beast in my mind. Yeah. It is, it is a, it is a worse beast and incline wise, you're right. Cause I've looked at the charts like a thousand times, you know, heartbreak is definitely the steepest of all of them, but I think the first one is longer and it's more of a grind. And it's also the fact that you have an other than that ramp, you know, crushing soul crushing, you know, <laughs> hill, which by the way is soul crushing because generally when you get up to the top of that ramp, the wind is blowing like 40 miles an hour sideways and you're getting blown around, like just to, just to piss you off even more. And, you know, that's the first place I always notice people are walking. Um, and I think that's always a hard spot. So if you can keep pushing through those spots, you know, pro tip guide, um, if you're going to walk, no problem. I have no problem with you walking the marathon. I have a friend who walked the entire London marathon because she fractured her kneecap and she qualified for the world age group championships. And she is just so determined. And I'm so inspired that she was, her name is Golsom. She's from, uh, I think she was originally from Turkey and I think she's living in California, but she was determined. She wasn't going to miss out on the world age group championships. And she walked every step in London. So total badass. I mean, these are, there's people out there that are doing that. But if your plan is to run, walk the hills, totally cool. But if you're planning to run, you know, fight it, man. Just stay in there, man. Just slow it down, man. Slow your cadence way down. And if you can't, no problem. Walk a little bit. But yeah, they, they don't really, I think heartbreak, like you said, it's just the fact that there were three in a row and it's just like, get the shit over with. And you yeah. know, you know, you've <laughs> scaled it when you see the Boston, Boston college kids going like Boston bonkers, college. partying, yep. drinking. Normally there are kegs out on the course. There was, it wasn't quite as festive and rowdy, um, this year, still 
the crowds were awesome, totally epic. But I mean, normally it is literally like a frat party up there on top of VC. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've only other run it in 2018, which was the horrible, horrible weather. The perfect but even storm. that year, I remember them being like totally just almost in some ways, even more energetic than the screen tunnel. And they had a big balloon arch and all kinds of stuff. They were just out there. And um, I kind of, I was looking for that this year and I'm like, oh, they're not, I don't see it, but they were still, they still brought the energy. They still had a great, a great, you know, section there, but yeah, it was a little different than at least what I remember in 2018. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So we're seeing it the same way. And 2018 was, you know, monsoon territory. It was The Perfect Storm, which is a great movie, by the way, and a great book, a great read <laughs> and a great movie. But, you know, me and my infinite wisdom and, you know, you're supposed to, as you get older, you're supposed to become more wise and um, have more of a clue about life as opposed to me. I'm running through all the puddles like I'm eight thinking it's fun. And of course, my toes are numb and I'm frozen solid by like mile 10. But I'm thinking this is a good idea. And then at points when the wind would, you know, gust to like 30, 35, I'd look up and go, is that all you fucking God? Let's go. <laughs> and of course, like 10 minutes later, it's now 45 miles an hour, thanks to me and my big mouth. So yes, everybody was out there that day. It got worse like, because of go. me, you know, so thanks, you can just John. definitely blame me. You know, next time I'll just shut it for a little while and just maybe I'll say, can you please ease up a little bit? You know, I'm soft. I can't handle the rough conditions. You know, I promise I won't run any more marathons. What other lies do we tell in the course? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Cross your fingers and your toes that yeah. you can't feel. <laughs> and then and you can't take it back anyway. And then so you you all and your friends, you know, you had an experience of a life. It's the 125th. I mean, we've all been on hold for easily 2 years. I mean, I know for me, my last race was the New York City uh 2019 marathon when I had run all six Abbott majors in the same year, which was like the just a an adventure year of a lifetime Amazing. and Amazing. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it it was, but it was like a party all year because, you know, there's not a lot of time. In the front end with Tokyo, um, Boston, and London, it was like 48 days were in there. And, you know, I had a couple of half marathons mixed in. And then in between the second half, I did a 50-mile ultra. And then, yeah, I know, because <laughs> I, need, I needed that. Yeah, I mean, just to keep it spicy. <laughs> and then, you know, we go to the second half, and it was Berlin, Chicago, New York. It was three and 35 days. So those were those were a lot closer together. But my last race was New York. So for me, it was November, the first week of November, whatever date that was, the 5th, the 4th, the 7th um, of 2019. I hadn't run a race. Like every a ton of my friends had done a huge amount of virtual racing and time trialing and other things to keep themselves fit, keep themselves sharp. I focused on charity and raising money for healthcare workers. I did 10 marathons in 10 weeks um, to raise money for frontline healthcare workers. And then I ran 60 miles for Tommy Ribs on my 60th birthday. So that's what I was doing. And a lot of other friends were at least still doing some racing. Were you racing like in that period of time? What were you doing between this Boston and leading up to it? So we went to Atlanta to watch the trials right before everything in America like shut down. So I raced the Atlanta half that weekend. Um, and then we had nothing for a long time, but we found a very small race in Grand Rapids called the Last Chance BQ.2. And they were able to pull it off in September of 2020. And you had to, it's one of those ones that you have to either be within or miss your Boston qualifying time by like 10 minutes, I think it is. 
So even though we had qualified for Boston, we opted to do the virtual 2020. And we did that on the course at Last Chance BQ in Grand Rapids. So I was able to to race that, even though it was super small, it was, it was great. So awesome. And then I ran, um, the McCurdy micro marathon in Greenville, South Carolina in March of this year of 2021. And again, like that, I think had a total of 30 people, but I, I loved it. I loved the loop course. I loved doing, you know, less, um, you know, hype and all this kind of stuff. It was just, you have a job to do, you're going to go and you're going to do it because my mentality was I, number one, needed it as something to just keep going. Life is stressful. I just needed this, this thing that was kind of normal and somewhat within my control to, to happen. And also to really kind of try and secure a time because I figured when Boston does come back, I want to bring my best possible game um, and so that's what I did and all with the hopes that Boston would happen again, that's always been my like top race, top goal. Um, it, just because I was, you know, I started in such a different place in running that it's like the, it's like the Olympics for me is <laughs> Boston is. So it is definitely on a pedestal, but yeah, so I did get to race that. And honestly, <laughs> Florida, you know, <laughs> the train wreck that we are in so many ways. Um, they did bring racing back kind of earlier than any other state. So I did some other races in like November and December, but I used them as time trials and workouts and things like that. They were not goal races or anything. And honestly, both of those, they were halves and they were just, it was so nice to be out there racing and it was a, it was a full field and everybody was out there. So it was just a whole lot of like, we're racing, we're back, we're doing it, you know? Um, so yeah, I was lucky enough to do a few in that interim. That's fantastic. I love, uh, I love you filling in a bunch of gaps there in the time and what you were doing, um, to keep yourself motivated. Cause we do, we do need it. And, and if it's the micro McCurdy and there's only 30 people and it, it doesn't matter, it's still better than even when you get a good training group together. And let's say you're all deciding you're going to do 20 miles and you're going to do a couple of miles at marathon pace, or maybe even a bunch of miles. Those are still training runs. They still don't really feel like a simulated race. That's a race that kind of could feel like a training run, or it can feel like a race, depending on, you know, what your energy you're bringing to that day is and what yeah. you got your fueling out there. You have people out there. You have the McCurdy coaches that are that are there. So all of it is a plus, and you get to experience it. And you're still doing something to kind of keep like a toe in the water of the competitive arena. And we need we need that. Um, it's very hard. In my case, for two years, I haven't done any real, not real racing like I'm used to. And then I'm also coming off an injury like a lot of people because if you're not racing, and then something happens to you, then it's just really difficult to get back to wherever you were before. And I think um, that's a big thing. People are jumping into these races where they haven't raced in two years and they're not a race, it's a marathon, okay? So first yeah. off, respect the beast, people. That's number one. Number two, let me tell you a little rule. It's called the marathon always wins. The marathon always <laughs> wins, even when you PR, it still always wins because guess what? That's why you're still walking around funny. That's why my calves are still sore from Boston because going back to the courses and how they, how they handle it, I ran London 
in Boston in eight days. After London, I walked seven miles the next day. I mean, I was like happy, chipper, having fun, out with my New Jersey moms that were just there together and we're having a blast. We're going to wine bars and drinking and chopping and eating. And I'm like, you know, I'm like completely fine. I'm like, I roll into Boston. I see all my friends. You know, I don't run until, I think my first day I ran was Friday night because I got there Friday. No, I didn't run until Saturday. So I Saturday, just didn't geez. didn't run and I didn't feel like I needed to because my legs were fine. I knew my legs were fine, but I ran Saturday. We did this super fun shakeout, probably about 50, 60 runners showed up and I knew I was okay. But after Boston, I walked not as many miles as I did in London. I probably walked three, four, because I just like to do that. I like to get out I walked all around uh, Newberry and Boylston and just saw so many runners and got some food and did a little shopping, pump up that Boston economy, man. We, we're yeah. doing our part, man, as if I didn't spend enough on the hotel and everything else, but you know, <laughs> got to spend more, try to melt the credit cards, do what I can, doing my part over here, yes. you know? Yes. Um, but I got to tell you, my my calves are still sore and it's the hills, man. So it's like, so your quads are sore. My quads can just take the beating. So my quads always can take the beating. Um, but my, my one calf is more sore than the other one, but it'll, it'll, it'll go away. I ran six yesterday evening, yesterday, late afternoon, and it was just slow cruising miles and you know, everything's in order. You know, both my legs are still there, you know, they're still (laughs) underneath me somewhat. Um, I cruised around, you know, not anything fast or anything, but New York is, is coming up. So, you know, before we, before you blink and you go there and you, and one, I wanted to point on a couple of quick things because, you know, you said Boston is like, you know, the holy grail for you, right? Well, let's just give people a little background. When you started in marathoning, I'm pretty sure it was five hours and 12 minutes. Did I get it right? Yeah. Yep. Five, you got it right. 12, I got it right. <laughs> it's not even in my notes. I remember that was on your Instagram page. So five, 12, that's where the journey started. I mean, that's so impressive. So um, I just love to get a perspective on people, you know, what their running background was like, what their athletics background was like. So for everybody listening at home, five, 12, and now multiple time Boston participant qualifying, okay? And your PR is down to in the 320s or 330s? Yeah, 320s. 327. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have nailed the 327. So that's penalty points on me. Unacceptable, <laughs> okay? And, you know, if you want to make fun of me in a reel, that's all good. I'm totally endorsing it. I, uh, I would enjoy it, you know, so you'd be like, yeah doesn't know what's up, shake your head, do all the good stuff. I'm here I'll for start it. start thinking about it. Yeah. Well, the, the wheels are turning already. I could see I'm going to get roasted, but you know, a good roast is fun. I mean, look, man, if you can't make fun of yourself, hopefully your friends will. Um, that's the kind of friends you want in your life because the ones that are too soft to tell you what's really up. Yeah. We don't really, they, those are cool. They can hang out and run with you and stuff, but they're not the real people I want to roll. That was the people that are going to like, give me shit and be like, what <laughs> did you just say? What, what's happening? All right. Yeah. I did say it. Yes. Guilty. Slay me, stab me, charge me, <laughs> do whatever you want. So what a journey from five twelve. And, you know, as far as tell everybody a little about your background, like where did you grow up? Because I knew you weren't a really athletic kid with sports and team stuff. And everything. just give, give everybody a little intro on that background wise. Yeah, we, um, my family and I, we moved around quite a bit when I was growing up and sports was not really a part of our family dynamic. Um, 
it, it just was one of those things. Number one, we were extremely poor. So the, the money to do something like, you know, for leisure was just not an option. And I was not gifted um, in the sports department. I did try gymnastics when I was in fourth grade and they literally told my parents to take their money and they refunded them. And they said, she is, this is not her thing. (laughs) Like I could not do the most basic things after a few weeks. Cause the studio was right down the block from our house. And so I remember going and then feeling like, oh my gosh, they, they kicked me out, but they they were right. Like they knew like, this is not for you. I love it. Um, and I just wasn't athletic. I didn't like getting sweaty. I didn't like being hot. Um, I probably was the most hated person for students from my PE teachers. Time out. Time out. Doesn't <laughs> like getting sweaty and hot. Hang on. Hold on. Lives in Florida. Doesn't like getting sweaty and hot. Runs Boston <laughs> Marathon in 90% humidity. Doesn't like getting sweaty and hot. Busts out a great time. Kicks ass. I'm sorry. Just had to inject that little bit in there. I know. Continue, it's, please. It's ridiculous. And the friends that I'm still with today that knew me back then that would skip PE and forge our parents' notes and all that kind of stuff, they're like, remember? And now we pay to go run. <laughs> 26 miles and do this. Like it's crazy. And I actually live maybe a mile from the, my middle school and one of the high schools I attended now. And so it's so just funny to kind of be like, yeah, I remember those days of being like, nope, my mom really wrote this note. I really can't do this activity today. Um, so I, I literally did like nothing until 10th grade when we moved again. And I made like one friend, we moved to a small town called Winter Haven. And back then in 93, when we moved, it was super, super small. It's kind of grown since then, but, um, I, I did not acclimate well to the small town and, it what I made one friend and she was on the swim team and she was like, well, why don't you come out? And I was like, oh my God, I absolutely do not want to do this, but I want a friend. So I'm going to do it. And as soon as I turned actually 15 and I could get a job, I was like, oh, I have to get a job. I, I want to buy a prom dress. So I, I'm to buy swim team. So I only did it for a few months. Um, and then literally like not, not anything for several years until I was in college. So it's kind of, again, weird to think about. And I tell my kids this all the time, like never say never, you never know what you're going to end up loving or finding as a passion, just because you as a, you know, 15, 16 year old think this now that could totally change. So yeah, it's been a winding road for sure. (laughs) We love the winding road. And the real question is, can your kids forge your signature as well as you forged your mom's? That's what I really (laughs) want to know because I had my mom's down like nobody's business, man, because those Catholic school nuns were not going to get me in trouble with mom. It wasn't going to happen. And I'm lucky enough to still have my mom with me at 89. So she's my motivation in life. But Yeah, it's beautiful. So sports weren't your thing. Totally cool. And, you know, that's absolutely it. You'd never say never. You have no idea. Like, there could be somebody listening to the show today that has never run, that's 50, 60, my age, 40, and might hear your show, hear somebody else's episode, and be like, wow, 
she sounds fun or this guy sounds fun. Like maybe I'll actually try this. Like, and that's what they I say. They make running sound not so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although the whole sweating and hot thing and living in Florida. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a little terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I'll that's be a, honest. Yeah. That's, it's so funny because almost all my Florida friends are the same ones who are always complaining. And I'm always like this. I'm always like, violin out. Let me feel sorry for you. Not. Uh, I'm sorry, not feeling sorry for you when you could run all year round and life is good. Like suck it up. Like, it's not like it doesn't get hot in New York city in the summer. It's sweltering up here too, but they're always like, it's hotter down here. I'm like, ah, no, it's the same humidity and same temperature, whatever, you know, it's all good, but we have to, we have to give each other shit. That's what it's all about. Yeah. All the time. And we're getting into the time of year in Florida where everybody else is going indoors because it's going to start getting cold and snowy and all of that. And we're still going to be outside in our crops and shorts being like, la-di-da. So I said, we suffer through the summer, but then the winter is our time to shine. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, and you can, and you roast us and you know, we have to suck it up. I mean, that's life. Um, the cool part about now is I can just get on a plane and just go travel somewhere I want to run because honestly, I don't even care about races anymore. I mean, I I love races more than anything. That's the wrong thing. I love racing. I mean, racing and the weekends and all that it entails is just, it's an elixir, man. And I, I live off that energy and, um, you know, just have random people actually know who I am and come up and say, listen to the show or they follow my running page and what I'm doing. It's like amazing. And you know what? It's, it's a beautiful thing that at any age, any person could actually be motivating another person. And that's the message that I try to distill to people. I'm like, you may not think it. You, just because you think your kids don't think you're cool now, someday they are going to think you're cool. At least I hope so, because I my son's so. 24, and I'm still not really sure where I come <laughs> down there after coaching his teams for all those years. But I know a lot of his friends thought I was super cool, you know, but, you know, whatever, you know, okay. I mean, I did the best I could, you know, yeah. whatever. It's all good. But, you know, somewhere along the way, like, it's just, it's just part of the adventure, man. It's part of the journey, right? Mm-hmm. And speaking of your journey, so running hasn't even really come into the picture yet, right? So, you know, when you're in college, it's kind of where it first really starts, right? When you first have some exposure to running. So talk about that a little bit. So I, as I mentioned, like I hated running, but when I was in college, I went to um, the University of Central Florida. So still here in Orlando, Um, it was one of the things that I could do for pretty inexpensive. And we had some pretty decent, you know, either routes around the campus or um, even some of our local trails here. And the, there's a, you know, a positive and a, and a negative, I guess, to this there, was I was in a relationship and um, the, we ended up getting married, but we dated all the way from the point that I was in 10th grade through when we got married, when I was a junior in college. And um, it, the relationship kind of took a turn and he became very controlling and emotionally and verbally abusive. And it's been a long time and a, a lot of therapy for me to be able to speak about it as kind of frankly, and what may come across kind of rather lightly, but I, I don't mean that in any way, if anyone else is in that journey or, or has gone through that. But one of the things that he controlled was, my exercise and my food. So basically it was, you know, well, we're not going to have this 
thing for dinner or nope, you're not going to have ice cream unless you exercised. And one of the things that he really pushed was running because I think he saw most typical runners physiques were very slim and long and lean. And that is a hundred percent what he wanted. And that is also a hundred percent, not me. (laughs) So, um, but I, I ran and in that process, there are still a few runs that I remember even to this day that I ran long enough that I burned the stress and I made myself feel good. It wasn't this, okay, I'm going to do it so that I don't have to hear shit from Danny so that I don't have to get in an argument so that I don't have to sneak food in the pantry when he's not looking that kind of stuff. Um, and I remember coming back to my house and being like, I feel amazing. This running thing, actually, there's, you know, something to it when you do it because you love it and you want to do it and someone's not forcing you. Um, but I ended up leaving him after we'd been married for about two years. I, I got the courage to say enough is enough. And I left and I didn't run for a very long time. And it wasn't until I remarried my current husband and we had our first child. And I thought, you know, I want to take our son out on walks and, you know, get outside and do these things. And a jogging stroller just kind of seems to be a little bit better suited for that. The, The stroller that we had for going on our trails and stuff was just kind of it just wasn't great. It was better for the mall, not for outside. So I got a Bob stroller and I actually did kind of start doing like a run walk thing. I had no formal like idea, even in the least, it was just kind of like, Hey, okay, Drew, we're going to go for a walk. And Hey, guess what? We're going to run a little faster this time. Um, and I never really got into a a groove with it because then we had two more kids and it was like back to back to back. Um, But then after I finished my PhD, I had been sitting in this chair for so long writing what felt like forever that literally the night that I turned in my final copy of my dissertation, I spun my chair around and I looked at my husband. I was like, I'm going for a run. I just have to move my body. And it was like 930 at night and we had a treadmill. Neither of us used it. Neither of us were running. I don't even know how or why we had this treadmill, but we had it. And I, I went, cause I was like, oh, I can't go like 930 at night on my own out in the dark. So I, I went on the treadmill and I was horrible at it. I am also asthmatic. So I was just like totally sucking wind, but it was the time of the princess half marathon. So my whole social media feed was filled with people that had just done this princess half. And it was like, well, if you can do that, I can do that. And it was like this fire. And so that's kind of how I I got here. And it's, it's kind of, again, like one of those weird things of how you kind of come full circle with this thing that I absolutely hated and didn't want to do to a thing that I was forced to do, but kind of found a little spark of this. This is kind of great in some regards. And now here I am doing it, not only because I love it, but because it truly brings out 
not only the best in me, but it constantly makes me want to be better and do better in all aspects of life, not just in pursuing running PRs and, you know, further distances and things like that, but literally everything in life. It just makes me want to do more, serve more, be more. Um, And that's like... I just can't imagine not being that way and having that drive. So a very long answer to your question, but. I love it. No, it's a lot to unpack there. It was beautifully stated um, from start to end, the meandering, the twists and the turns on the path. <laughs> that's your life, but that's everyone's life. We don't, we don't go in a straight line. You know that. Nothing about our lives is in a straight line. The trajectory is always it's always being moved. Somebody's always moving a point left and right and or up and down. And we really don't know what's happening. And of course, obstacles are being placed in our path. So thanks for sharing about um, the difficulties you went through in your relationship and being in an abusive relationship, a controlling relationship, because um, it can take years before someone's comfortable enough, even if they have remarried, even if they are in a very comfortable place and a secure place and they're feeling good. Sometimes they're ashamed. Sometimes they just don't want to talk about it. They don't want to mention the other person's name anymore. And the beauty of this show is the people that share those things. It just, it really resonates with people that are in a spot like that. And everyone has somebody out there that knows somebody that's in a similar spot. Um, And maybe they're being controlled for very different reasons um, or being mistreated in a different manner, but still the signs are the signs. And, you know, the fact that you were able to move forward and get out of that relationship and move on and remarry and have children and, and be in a very happy place. It's beautiful. You made it, you know, from one end to the other, but it's very interesting. The role running played because it was, you know, that was something being dictated to you and being, you know, you're being told to do it. So yeah, there's going to be natural resentment right off the bat. Like, Hey man, nobody's going to tell me what to do now. I'm out of here. I don't want (laughs) to run. But when you did run long enough, it's just what validates. And there's the, we got the PhD here. So obviously she's the smartest (laughs) one in the room. Coco's the smartest one over here. And that's my dog. So like (laughs) I'm outranked by everyone and my son speaks fluent Mandarin. So like, I'm not winning any of those contests, but I'm going to hopefully win the fun contest and crack the best joke (laughs) contest or whatever. Um, And look, Coco's trying to join the show now. She's going to jump up on the stool here. But um, (laughs) anyway, where I was going is you went long enough it's what I tell people all the time. It doesn't matter how fast you're running. It doesn't even matter if you're walking and then running. Walk, run, walk, run, walk, run. One of the most common things people tell me, I want to run, I want to run, I start to run, but I get so winded. And I'm like, look, turn the damn treadmill down from eight miles an hour and just put it on like one and a half, like slowly get used to whatever the pace is. And then little by little, go from walking to trying to run for 30 seconds or a minute and then go back to walking. So you broke through that amount of running where the endorphins were able to get through. And everybody thinks it has to be a long run. It doesn't have to be a long run. Endorphins can come on a, on a five or a six mile run. You don't know when they're gonna come to you and they may not come to you on a two hour run. It just, it's just one of those beautiful things that happens. And when it does, it's like, wow, there's something really powerful here. And yep. to, to jump up out of your chair, you know, after finishing, you know, your paper, you know, for your PhD and to say to your husband, you're going running and it's 939, it just, it shows you like that. It's, it's just one of those things, man. It's in us. We're born with that. It's just literally going all the way back to the beginning of our species. We're born to do it. That's what we're supposed to do. And when we 
turn the brain off and just like let that happen. That's where the good happens, you know? Yes. Not saying you shouldn't be listening to my podcast on a run, people, because you should be. <laughs> Let's make sure we get that straight. If you're not listening to the Melissa episode, like, I don't know what the fuck's wrong, but we got to get that cleaned up. But it's okay. I'm actually okay with you listening to other pods or not listening to anybody's pod or just having no music. It's all good. But if you're going to listen, you really should be on run chats, of course, because- Melissa's <laughs> giving us all the good shit here. And, you know, you don't want to miss it. So, you know, we got that going for us. But what a full circle turn, you know, from, you know, an awful position of being in a controlling relationship to getting your life in order, not being controlled, your relationship with food. Wow, that's always going to be a big problem. Like, good Lord, we need food, man. Don't yeah. be trying to cut calories. Don't be fasting and doing this crazy stuff find a real relationship with food and you also do nutrition and and diet stuff as well right in your in your business life work life right yeah i do and it's it's specifically through um isogenics i'm i want to be very clear i'm not a registered dietitian by any stretch of the imagination or anything like that but when i found this nutrition and supplements, basically it, for me, it changed my running and my performance. And I know everybody has their stuff that works for them. Lord knows we, especially as runners are so picky about <laughs> what we eat, what we drink, what our fuel is on the course. You know, like I was super excited that Martin was on the course because that is my gel of choice. And I know other people that were like, mm, nope, could have used something else. So it's, it's interesting, but for me, that flipped the, the switch or the gear or whatever you want to call it, um, in my body. But it's, it's something that I do actually less and less these days. I think with COVID it's been, I've had to shift a lot. Um, but I still fully believe in support and all of that. I still take it every day. <laughs> it's going to keep getting me PRs. I'm going to still do it. <laughs> but I do think like, like thinking about everything that I went through in my first marriage, I think it's honestly a, a miracle that I didn't come out of that with a disordered eating in some way, shape or form truly, because there were multiple days that I would stand at the fridge and just like eat as fast as I could so that and, and then hide the wrappers and hide the food or something like that so that it didn't appear like I was eating. And when I look at it now, it's like you were, you were, you were binging and, and, you know, so maybe not in a textbook form of, you know, disordered eating, at least from what I know, I could be totally wrong. Cause again, I'm, this is not my area of education, but it was, but it was about survival. It was, I'm freaking starving in my own house that the refrigerator may as well have a lock on it for crying out loud. Um, and I just think it's, it's a miracle that I didn't walk out of that. Now, to, truth be told, though, when I did leave, because one of the things that he restricted was also fast food, which I don't eat a lot of now. But when I left, literally the, the McDonald's around the corner from my house then knew my name, knew what I wanted, like within a couple of months of me being Party, like, let's go. Yeah. They were like, hey, Melissa, you're going to have your special today? Welcome like, yep. back, Melissa. <laughs> we have the chair number yeah. seven waiting for you. 
It's a we <laughs> like one end of the pendulum yeah. to the other. Yeah. So I found the happy balance now. So <laughs> yeah, but you know that would but that was as much a part of your journey as getting you know to a baseline. Now it was every bit as much because um, and it, the fact that you came back to running could very easily have been like I hate running. I will never run again, and just associate running with him. And just say like, he tried to make me run, I'll never run. I'll ride a bike, I'll do something else, but I'm not, that's not what I'm gonna do. So thank God, you know, cause otherwise you wouldn't be on the show. Like how else would we be having this chat? Who knows, I'd probably be doing the show with Coco right now. I mean, she's been wanting to come on for a while. She's been, you know, feeling like, hey man, what about me? I mean, you're up to episode 56 and you haven't even had me on the show yet. So, it's you know, so rude. I so mean, rude. it's really not right. Uh, at some point, you know, we'll, we'll get it worked out. Uh, maybe we'll save Coco for episode 100. We'll see. We'll, we'll give her a milestone episode. <laughs> and she just keeps looking at me because I'm saying her name. It's like, why does he keep saying my name? Am I supposed to do something? No, no. You're just <laughs> subtly, you know, subtly part of the show. So unbelievable, super challenging situation in life to like coming through that finding running again. So that's just, you're back to running. Like you, you're now happily married. You know, you now have at least one child cause you have the baby stroller <laughs> and that's in the picture and it's good. You're not like trying to ride, ride around the kid in a regular stroller because I always got such a kick out of that. I'd be seeing people out there in central park. I'm like, what is that contraption? I'm not built for running up and down the hills of central park danger warning. Will Robinson, like something bad's about to happen Seriously? here. Like your kid's going to do like a cartwheel and flip out and be like rolling down the steepest hill in central park. And I'm not here for that. So Nope, no. <laughs> nope, not here for it. You know, I'm just going to keep running. And I didn't see that, you know, I, you know, really can't help you. No, I, I was so glad to have that Bob stroller. Cause it was like the, you know, first kid, at least for me, I'm like, I don't know anything. I just get what the, my friends told me, Oh, you got to get this one. And, and it was a great stroller again for like strolling. Like I'm going to go to the grocery store or the mall or something. But if you want to move, especially if you want to go on like sidewalks that are uneven and trails and stuff like that, like, no, that's not happening. So <laughs> even my husband was like, you want a what? You want a, you want a jogging stroller? Like, yep, that's what I want. <laughs> we go from one husband who's threatening you to run to the other one going like, wait a minute, you want to buy this thing to run? I don't know. We have a treadmill in the basement, put the kid on the treadmill, like, you know, put him in one of them baby Bjorn things and, you know, you guys yeah. can run together. Yay. <laughs> Isn't that good enough? That'll work, right? So what if a few bones break in the young one? I mean, it'll be okay. They'll grow back. It's like the Harry Potter episode where they have the the bone growth the bone growth thing and he gets sent to sent to the infirmary. You know, it works. It worked on him. I mean, you know, yeah. he came back okay. It's gonna work on anybody. Yeah, yeah. He's got to be careful who's casting the spells. You know, as we yeah. know, uh, and he was dangerous, man. I mean, he was not the right guy for the job. But so let's get back to reality. I mean, the fun stuff is way more fun. I mean, serious podcasting <laughs> is for other people, not for me. Um, so that brings you into running. And now you're kind of just getting your start and you're getting settled. So when do you start getting involved, doing some racing, or is that like still years off? So when I saw everybody doing the princess, um, that was really my like goal. I, I said, okay, I can't like do a quarter mile on this treadmill, but I'm going <laughs> to 
next, next Disney, I'm going to do a half. Um, and that's just my personality, especially if something is a challenge or hard when I think I should be able to do it. And then my body says, no, this is a hard, no. Um, it's kind of like, okay, it's on, it's on, it's going to happen. So I, I again, had no idea, just kind of failed my way forward, but found my way to a local running store and got fitted for shoes and found, oh, you should really wear like clothing that's appropriate. And you should probably have a plan that you're following, like all these things. Um, so I started with couch to 5k. I bought a little holder for my phone, for my arm and the Nike app. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do couch to 5k. And here I go. And I kind of slowly from that emerged into Jeff Galloway's run, walk interval training, which again, talking with anyone that's like, I want to get into running, but this, like we were saying, you know, it's so hard or I can't go that long or whatever run, walk intervals. I did run, walk intervals for years years, like several marathons were run walk intervals for me, but I did that. And then I did a a local half actually before princess, like two months before princess happened because they opened it up. And, uh, you know, a friend was like, you, you're totally ready. You could do a half early, but I'm like, okay, great. We'll do it. The lies running friends tell each other and we fall and we fall for the men. We just fall. Oh, of course I'm ready. Okay. She said I could do it. I'm going to do it. Here's my credit card. Where do I go? (laughs) Swipe. Um, But I learned on that one. I learned a lot about some fueling and things like that. So Disney was fun. It was a lot of fun and I loved it. And it just kind of lit the fire. And it was in that process that I started meeting other running people and found out that there was a local running club. Because in that first half marathon, as I'm like suffering at the last like mile, I clearly remember other runners with their medals on running the other direction. And I'm like, what, where are they going? What are they doing? Like so clueless. And I must've said something out loud, or maybe they just voiced it. I don't remember, but somebody nearby said, those must be the marathoners out on their long runs. And my mind like literally just exploded on the street. Like, wait a minute, there are people that do this and then run more? Like, what are you talking about? But that was the moment that I thought, okay, like there, there are people that run longer and I could learn from them. And so we found this Um, It's a group called Marathon Fest and it's through our local running store and they set out like water and Gatorade all around town and they have the routes planned and it's a running club. Like, again, I didn't know these things existed. I had no idea. So I, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do a full because other people were telling me, you know, if you did a half, you can do a full, all that kind of thing again. (laughs) So again, I'm like, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so I signed up and, and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for real and committed to it. And again, I did the run walk intervals and it was horrible and beautiful at the same time, <laughs> that first race that you're just like, oh my God, why am I doing this? But at the same point, I'm so proud of what I just did. Um, and as soon as I finished, it was like, okay, that was I didn't necessarily have a goal time, but I did want to get under five hours. So the fact that I 
I was, you know, not super far off, but also not right there either was kind of like, okay, you can do better. You can do better than this. And you've learned a lot. So let's sign up for another one. And here we go, you know? Um, And so that, that, and it just snowballed. (laughs) I'm picturing a snowball. Cause that's what we do. We get roped in and the next thing you know, no one needs to rope us in anymore. We're roping other people in now. It's like, Oh wow. Uh, yeah. I did five twelve, but I survived. And I think I could do under five. So let me sign up for another one. I'm in who else wants to come and join the <laughs> crazy party. Let's yep. go. Let's go. I love it. Great energy. Absolutely. The best. Where was, where was your first marathon? Where was it? Uh, over in Cocoa Beach, it was called, it's called the Space Coast Marathon. Oh they, my God! My friend Craig Williams runs that series of races. They have the I Dream of Genie Age Group Awards. I am so coming down to that race <laughs> every year. He wins one of those Age Group Awards. I'm like, I'm like, I dream of Genie. I want I want Barbara Eden to give me my award and like blink me, you know, to the first place. I mean, because I it's like the greatest Age Group Awards ever. Unbelievable. That's yeah, so and cool. it's a great race. They Don't put you run on in the amazing... beach? Do you run in the beach um, at some point? You're right on the on the river, right okay. there. So everything is paved. There is an actual I Dream of Genie race that I think is on the beach, um, but that one and they promote they cross promote. It might be the same like running club or or race directors and stuff. But Space Coast is on paved roads, but it's right on the or maybe it's the intercoastal. It's something right there by the water. Um, so it's gorgeous and you can watch the sunrise. And if you do the full, you go North six miles and then come back or six and a half, come back. And then you go South and then come back. So you're on and you it, uh, multiple opportunities to see lots of people and see the sunrise and all of that. It's, it's amazing. And their post-race party is awesome. Honestly, it's probably the only reason my kids kept asking, because I did it multiple years in a row. My kids kept asking to come back because they're like, wait, that's the race that had the eggs and the Coke and the pancakes and all that stuff. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. Like I'm the one that ran, but they're the ones that ate like marathoners. <laughs> they got, they they're got just... to partake in all of the amazing food. So obviously you haven't dipped your toe in the ultra water yet. Cause if you had, Not yet. you would understand just how you would understand what a real race party experience is because there are <laughs> snow cones there. They're like frying bacon there's there's oh. baked potatoes and there's like a vat of sea salt so you can just like dip your own baked potato in there. It's wow. like you're looking at this food going like what's happening? There's like Mike and Ike's, there's Starburst. Oh. There's like wow, this is a I I get the stuff for free? Do I have to pay someone? <laughs> I come into the, I come into the agency and I'm like, "Do I have to pay?" I I crack people. I'm like, "Wait, I can actually have this? This is mine? I can have something <laughs> like yes." And my friend in London who just did the three majors in 8 days, she just got so hungry and she she's telling me the story on the show and I'm like laughing. I'm like, what do you mean? Just, oh, Ron, I was like starving. I was like, I needed like pizza or food. And I came upon the Salvation Army stand and there were Cokes and chips all over. And I go, am I allowed <sighs> to have one? And they go, you can have as many as you want. So she stopped and ate like a bag of like, chips and, and drank a whole <laughs> soda. And I'm like, oh man, we're, we're doing it right now, man. This is great. So, and your kids, your kids are going to get hooked to do running now because they have all the treats out there. They're going to exactly. want in. Exactly. If I get a Coke and pancakes, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, that's winning right there. I mean, that's that's seriously winning. I mean, come on. I mean, what more do you need? I know. That's life. <laughs> yeah. And you get to run. So, I mean, it, that's an all-around good day. 
That's definitely an all around good day. So awesome. So that's your entry point, getting you in, you're getting excited. You're five, you're a five hour marathoner. Where do you get to the point when you qualify for your first Boston? Cause I know you ran in 2018. That was your first Boston, right? That the was, year of the perfect yes. storm. So when do you get from there being a five hour marathoner to like actually qualifying for Boston? And you know, we're not going to go through, I, I'm not a big person on training stuff, man. This is, this is my, this is my answer to all of it work your ass off and you'll yeah. qualify. Okay. Guess what? Work your ass off. Whether it's using a Jeff Galloway plan, a McCurdy plan, a Greg McMillan plan, or, you know, Hal Higdon, there's 5,000 online training plans that you don't have to pay a dime for. Okay. Guess yep. what? If you do the work, you're going to get there. But what, what are just some keys that worked for you? Because that's obviously a lot of time, you know, you know, give us just a little bit highlights, like how you got yourself from where you were there to qualifying for your first Boston. Um, so I think number one, I, I failed a lot and I learned, I paid attention to what didn't work and I changed. Um, so I made some slow, steady progress over the beginning years. And then, um, honestly, I kept saying like, I'll never be somebody that can qualify. I can never be that, that fast. And when I got my nutrition right, then it's like, oh, you feel your body, right. It's going to perform. What a concept, you know? Um, so that's when I was like, okay, maybe I can. And you're, you're absolutely right. Work your ass off, get up every day and go in towards that goal. And that's what I did. So I did hire a coach. Um, he was, he's just an independent person out of Chicago and he like flipped the table on me. Like, okay, if this is what you want, this is what it's going to take. And I did, I put in the work and in 2016, I went to try my first time at the Kentucky Derby marathon. And I, you know, again, I learned in an epic way, how important taking in enough fuel on the courses. And I missed the Boston qualifying time by 89 seconds. And I don't remember the last two miles of the race. Like I bonked so hard. Like I I was, as soon as I hit the finish line, they scooped me up and threw me in a wheelchair and took me to the med tent. I don't remember anything like from mile 24 on, but again, it was like, okay, you came that close on your first try. And it was like a 30 something minute PR at the time, like crazy. So I'm like, okay, let's keep going. So I, I did, I just kept going and, and grinding. And then the next um, February, I qualified or early March, I qualified. So, and it, it is, it's just showing up and getting through those really shitty runs and the runs that you don't want to do, but you do it anyways. And doing the strength training and the foam rolling and all, all of the things for me, I'm not one of those people that can just be like, I'm going to run a marathon and then boom, they, you know, qualify and they don't have to do anything else. I have to work really, really, really hard. Um, but it was, it was worth it that it was all worth it. And I still do it. I still work really, really hard to be able to do the things that I want my body to be able to do. Um, but yeah, there's no secret formula. There's no secret coach or plan or anything. You find what works with you, what jives with you. And if you do that work, you're eventually you're going to get there. It may not be on your first, second or third try, but you'll get there. Well, thanks for sharing um, those bits and pieces. They're very, very important bits and pieces. And I think 
you know, you weren't drinking any mint juleps out there on the Kentucky Derby <laughs> course, were you? Because I'm wondering if that may have led to that. You know, I mean, I blacked out the last see two what I'm miles, saying? Maybe. Like maybe, maybe it was on the last drink table they didn't tell you. Because there are some courses that literally will serve beer late. And it's like, you know, you need to put some kind of warning around, man. You don't understand. Yeah. Marathon people, marathon brain, marathon legs. We don't know. We have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I see We're hallucinating sometimes. It's like mint julep. Okay, green Gatorade. Seems the same. I'll take this. <laughs> Chug. Uh, okay. Uh, wait, Medical what? tent <laughs> problems. Give it to you. I like you said, failing forward. We learn. We learn. And everybody wants the magic day. Everybody wants the magic buildup. Guess what, people? That's not real life. Okay. Because for everyone who thinks they ran a perfect 12 week, 14 week, 16 week training cycle, they're the ones who don't have a perfect race. Okay. Because that's not real life. Either that means you're running your training runs too hard, you're running your long runs too hard, you're doing something that's eventually going to catch up somewhere. It's almost always when the race comes out to be the best day that you either had some misses on those training runs when you just weren't feeling it. You didn't get enough sleep. You had a shitty day. You're arguing with your spouse or your boss or one of your kids, who knows, one of your friends. You just, you're not in a good space. And then one of those important runs, a tempo run, a long run with work, they just didn't go the way you wanted to right away. What happens? That doubt comes in. It's like the worries. Oh mm -hmm. no, I'll never <laughs> do it now because one run went wrong. But meanwhile, when we run the great, greatest training run ever, we start trying to find 23 reasons why it probably wasn't as good. Like maybe my <laughs> GPS was off, even though I've run that route 700 times. Like, I don't know. Maybe I really didn't run 20 miles at 733 pace. Maybe, maybe it was really like 18.6 or something. We're like subtracting mileage and we're telling us the weather was too, like, no, man, like we're going to have great training days and we're going to have great races. We're also going to have shitty training days. We're also going to have shitty races. It's just inevitable, but it's not linear. Eventually, over time, cycle after cycle, if you're patient and you're willing to keep doing the work and the important things that you stress, maybe that isn't as important to someone else, the strength training, the foam rolling, stretching, yoga, other things. Everybody has to figure out what those other things are. I could not run the miles, the amount of races I do, the amount of marathon majors at one after the other, after the other at 60 years old, if I weren't religiously foam rolling, if I weren't mm -hmm. religiously putting my Normatec boots on, which I'm pointing at are <laughs> right over there next to my couch every single day. And literally at some point, almost every day they're on, whether I've done any hard sessions or not, because look, if I'm going to be sitting down watching Netflix or sports or golf, why not sit why there and, not? and have Put my Normatex on. on? Now, what I do, yes. just as another pro tip, like if I feel like I really need it because I don't have access to get a deep tissue massage, maybe people aren't available that I normally go to get worked on, then I'll crank them up to the highest setting. But other days, like when my calves are, you know, really still pretty sore from Boston and they're not like terrible, but they're just a little tender, you know, I'll put it down to like four or five, which is way less pressure, but I can't exist without the regular foam rolling, the regular Normatec work, and then if anything feels one micron off. And listen, man, it's your body. 
You got to mm-hmm. get to know your body. It's not your yep. husband's job. It's not your wife's job, your friend's job. It's your job. You got to know when you're running. If something feels a little off, there's a reason why something's a little off. One hip's a little higher than the other. You know, your shoes are wearing down a little bit. There's a hundred reasons why this stuff can happen. One muscle group starts to get a little tight in the back right glute. It starts affecting your left leg and you don't think it's possible. When something's off on the left side, it's almost always tied to something from the right side and yep. things work in reverse. You know, back muscles tend to affect something on the front musculature on the, front. The, on the other side. So, And it starts from the bottom up, right? The chain where we land, where all the impact is, it starts from your feet and works its way all the way up to our brains, which luckily for us are far away because otherwise we would talk <laughs> ourselves out of running all the time. Like, no, this is this actually hurts and I sign up and pay it to torture myself. Like, what the fuck's happening here? Like, our brain doesn't get a chance to say no. It's like way up the food chain. It's like, ah, by that time, we're already well into the run. It's like, oh, he's, exactly. doing, he's doing this shit again. She is doing this again. Didn't we just do this like last weekend? What is wrong with this girl? Well, all right, I guess we're going to do it. So let's just keep going. Let's it, just go. Let's let's be part of the party train and get the shit over with. And then we can have a mint julep at mile 23. And you know, there we go. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's all going to be good. So, um, but I love the fact that you realize for you, what those other elements are. And maybe, and you don't know yet, because you're still really very early in your running career, if you really want to talk about development, there's a lot more that's there for you. Maybe there's one other thing you can add in. Maybe there's one thing you're doing now that's really not giving you any substantial benefit that's taking some of your time um, and you could find something else to substitute. But that's the beauty of it. You got to figure it out either on your own or with your coach. So that's, that's the key. Now, are you still working with the same coach? No, right now I'm working with Laura Galeazzo and she's a McCurdy trained coach. I've been with her for almost three years, Um, had great successes, hit PRs in every distance, love her. I love that she is also a mom and and she can balance mom life and, and perspective and with training as well. So she doesn't push me over my threshold. She gets me right where I need to be. Um, so I, I'm super, super, super happy with her and I need to probably message her and be like, (laughs) okay, so now the boss is done, (laughs) but she just had a baby. So I'm trying to kind of be like, I'm fine. Focus on your baby and your other athletes. I'm fine. Um, but yeah, for me, having a coach has been absolutely critical to have somebody that's separate look at my paces and my heart rate and my training and all of that and say, no, we're going to change this because what I'm seeing might be a little bit different than what you're seeing through your own eyes and your brain trying to override that narrative or something. So I don't know that I'll ever not have a coach just for that, because I do still want to get better and I do still have goals that I want to chase. So I know I need that other person there driving that bus. And I just, I also like the fact of, I don't have to think about it. I, she does it and I just do what's on the plan. Easy. (laughs) Freewheeling works when we can get our brains out of the way. Um, and by the way, they're pretty damn useful. Um, especially when we got the PhD gal over here, like, yeah, they're pretty damn useful, but we get, they can get in the way of an awful lot of stuff when it comes to sports and athletics, because we can't think too much, okay? I, and I play golf a lot and I play with some people who are really talented golfers, but they're just worried about way too many things. I see it the minute they're doing their rehearsals and their practice things. I'm just like, nope, 
get in the box, hit the ball, college baseball player. I'm like, that first pitch comes over, it's in the strike zone. I'm swinging. I'm not worried about what pitch two, three, four, just bring that shit in. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm swinging, man. I'm ready to rip. I was in the dugout. I was already ready to swing. So like you can overanalyze a lot of things in our lives. Okay. But when we keep things simple, our results are almost always going to be better. So what you're talking about with the coach, it is at the very essence, it's keeping it simple because you're now focused only on the actual running itself. Whatever that day is presented to you, that's it. That's your day. And in any good coaching relationship, for if the dynamic is working and you're a team, you should be able to say, hey, I'm not feeling it today. Okay. It's not my day. Um, I didn't get any sleep. I'm struggling. I'm just not feeling it. I'm whatever. It's not my day of the week. It's not my day of the month. Uh, maybe for women, it's female problems. There's all sorts of other things that we navigate, hormones, emotions. Hey, you got to be able to have that flexibility with a coach to say, hey, I want to move the tempo. I'm just not going to do the tempo this week because I think the long run's more important. Or what do you think is more important, the tempo or the long run? Because they're the two big runs in this week and I'm just not ready to go today. What do you think we should do? You know what, Melissa, let's scrap this long run this week, the tempo runs more important to me, take a rest day today, or just go easy today and we'll push the tempo to the weekend where the long run is. That's where the gold is when you have that relationship and you need to be able to tell your coach, and this is important. So do you have that flexibility? Are you comfortable enough that you can say you have that kind of communication? Because that's where the gold is when you're like willing to just say, hey, you know what? I got to speak up here. I got to let her know what's going on. 100%. And she always listens. And like case in point, I don't, despite living in Florida, I don't do well in the heat and humidity at a certain point. I hit that like 13, 14 mile mark, which is usually around the two hour-ish mark for me on like a long run. And if I have efforts in there in that later segment, my body always says, no, we're, we are stopping and it will find a way to override. Even if my brain is like, you can do it, you can do it. It's only two more miles or whatever. And I, I finally said, listen to my body. And I went to her and I said, we keep trying these different things in marathon training in the heat. And it's just not, it's not working. And I don't want to have these really bad long runs. And so she's like, no problem. Let's adjust. Cause I said, I'm willing to do doubles. I'm willing to do like, change it up. I do a lot of my long runs on Fridays anyways. So if it means another day of the week, whatever. And so she, she was like, great, let's change it because the end goal is still to have a great race and marathon. And if you're 16 miler with, you know, seven or eight miles of marathon pace work in the middle there isn't working in the summer, then we're going to switch it up so that you might have two shorter long runs back to back, but we're not having this get so long where your body is overheating. So absolutely. And there's been times again, like work and female changes and cycles and stuff that I'm like, yeah, this, this run isn't happening today. I'm going to, can I move it either way? Which one would you prefer? <laughs> and here's what works best for my day. If that's, you know, if that's even an option, but she's, I agree with you hundred percent. You have to have that communication like that. Clutch. And that's so important. And, and I think for people that coach themselves, and there's plenty of people out there who do, I coach myself because I've been coached by some of the greatest coaches around through my 30 plus years of a running career, but with the crazy amount of events that I 
throw at myself in a year. There's only one person, and you understand what I'm saying. There's only one person who really knows what your body's feeling like. That's it. Yeah. And you know, sometimes we can be fooled. Sometimes we think it's worse than than it is. But most times we usually know if something's really a problem or it's not great. And I just didn't want to deal with it. It's nothing to do with money, man. I throw money out the window and running like a freaking drunken sailor, man. It's like take the my money, take my sport, money. Right? Here you go. Take my money. What did I buy? I have 47 running jackets. I need 48. How, how many pairs of running shoes are in my closet? I can't open my closet door anymore. So like, this is just bad. I need one of those like time management people or no, no, the reorganization space people. I need someone to come to my apartment and just be like, cause my son's piano is gone. And now that didn't even help my situation. Like that was gone. I'm like, Oh, I have so much more room. No, it didn't help. No. no. So I'm just to go in my closet and just like take every single pair of running sneakers out of there. And I'm going to donate like 80% of them and then clothes. I'm going to give away 80% of my clothes. Cause I don't wear real work clothes anymore. I, I, right. I, I wear running clothes to real life business meetings. Now I'm just like, I show up, I'm like in my run chats hat. What's up? Boston marathon Jersey. Oh, oh, it's Ron the runner. Oh, yeah. It's me. It's Ron runs NYC. What's going on? Oh, 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 we're not going for a run. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't realize this was a board meeting at the hospital. My bad. Oh, so I thought we were golfing. I don't, I don't mind me. I'm 60, man. I'm getting old. Memory is one of the first things to go, man. You know, so, you know, I can't expect much from me at this point. Um, but it's great that you have that back and forth communication. It's great that you're tackling these challenges that are going to come up that are heat related and, you know, that are, that are not going to change where you're living right now. That's not going to change because look, you can't, people think all the time, like you can only get up so early. There's a point where it doesn't make any difference. It's not going to make any difference. If you start your run at 430 in the morning, it's still going to be really hot. The dew point's still going to be really high. And by the time, as you said, that you're going to get to that point in that run where the magic happens when it's working correctly, you need to be 12 miles into that run, 13 miles into that run, 14 miles into that run. If you're going to hit a switch and you're going to change your pace and you're going to drop from X, you know, 30 seconds over marathon pace or 40 seconds over two or even faster. Because, I mean, I'll do a lot of those runs. I'll do marathon pace miles and I'll even try to throw half marathon pace miles in. And every good coach is going to get you to be changing gears using different systems, you know, accumulating some threshold, but mostly importantly, trying to simulate what it's like to run on tired legs in the end of a race. Because yep. even if you close a marathon and run it incredibly well, and you run even splits, which is so damn hard to do, it's really hard. If you somehow magically put together a negative split race, that isn't because you ran so slowly in the first half that you just crushed the second half where you actually are running around what your goal was, or maybe even a PR, like that's just so hard to do. But to get that right is not only the execution of how you train for it and prepared for it, it's almost always nutrition-based. So if you're not getting the fuel in, if you're not getting the gels in, and by the way, how many gels did I take in Boston? And I get Morton stuff <laughs> at a discount. I get sponsorship from Morton. I'm always plugging my podcast. How many gels did Ron Runs NYC take in Boston? And that would be zero. And I drank my 320 bottle, which I started yeah. out. I had three gels in my... Uh, pack around uh -huh. me and my stomach 
just I have celiac, so I have to deal with uh, food. Not not so much what I'm eating. Just it's going to always be a little sensitive. And even though I know exactly what to eat the night before the morning of, you're still traveling. And even if you're at a good hotel like the Four Seasons, they're not always going to have exactly what you want. And I know better. Just it's been two plus years of not racing. I don't travel to Berlin or Tokyo or anywhere without bringing my gluten-free oatmeal that I know that I can just get a hot water kettle heater sent to my room and I don't need anything else. I could, even if everybody's having a group breakfast, I can still pack gluten-free bagels or gluten-free toast, bring that downstairs, have them put it in the toaster and I can have toast and oatmeal or something like that. Sometimes I'll eat a full breakfast, like actual gluten-free pancakes if the Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons or somebody actually has that ability and they always do. It's just a matter of you talk to them in advance, but I'll eat that three, three, and a half hours before. So if I've had enough of a meal, I can get by with a 320 bottle or two and really not have any gels. The thing is, I thought I was going to get a second bottle out there. It didn't happen. And then my stomach just started getting, it didn't have to go to the bathroom, but it was that feeling like you're going to throw up. And we all know yeah. that feeling. That's not a feeling where you're going, oh, Oh, Melissa, let's <laughs> let's rock some gels because my stomach's feeling all sloshy and I'm getting ready to turn at the firehouse. Yeah, let me throw some gels down. No, no, yeah, no, bad idea. no, no bad. gels. There'll be no gels. <laughs> I don't want to hurl on anybody. There'll be no projectile vomiting as I hit the hills of Newton. So I didn't. And I try. I obviously I drank Gatorade as much as I could. But, you know, how many ounces are in those cups? Three. And by right. the time you squish it up and drink it and miss half of your face and body, maybe you get an ounce to an ounce and a half down. Right. So it's totally on me. I would have been way better off to actually stop at any of those aid stations, you know, in the hills and just literally just take two or three Gatorades, you know, and just chug them all down, which is, wow, a whopping five ounces or whatever. But still, it would have helped that situation because Gatorade always, I can always get Gatorade down no matter what. And the 320 is not the issue. I just think it got warm and sloshing up and down and mishmash, you know, the things that go on in your stomach, you know, yeah. not, not always so good. Um, and it, well, I did not drink any mint juleps, by the way. It wasn't present, <laughs> that opportunity was not presented to me. Uh, but if somebody threw up a gluten-free beer out there uh, on the course, I would have been like, yeah, I'm here. Send it over here. I'm good. So, um, you know, you, you've got the ability to do your adjustments. I'm in charge of the adjustments over here. So I can blame no one. That's the beauty of it. It's just like, wait a minute, I fucked up again? Man, you suck. You suck as a coach. Your no running sucks. Like, really? Like, really? Again, dude? Like, wait, it's your fault. No one else freaking... Who's writing your training plan? Me. Um, who's got the nutrition plan? Me. Uh, who's supposed to pack the meals to go to the hotel? Me. Man, I, I mean, I need somebody to blame. And, you know, I just can't do it to my dog. It's She's just too cute. So it's on me. It's 100% on me. Um, in your case, I like that you've got the load balancing and you guys are working and you're maneuvering things as they go along. So you did say you had some other big goals in mind. Talk to us about what some of those are, one of them, you know, you know, whatever you want, a couple or one, like what's, what's out there on the horizon for you that gets you excited and gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, um, I would, they're both kind of long-term, but I would love to be a six-star finisher like yourself, maybe not all in one year, but <laughs> <laughs> eventually, um, I'll still hug you and welcome you to the club. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Awesome. How many, um, how many would, do you have at this point? I have the three domestic. Okay, cool. So love to, but again, I, 
with kids. I know. I don't know when that'll happen, but we'll, we'll see. I, we are, we actually started the conversation, um, on the way back from Boston. And my husband was like, well, we could easily take the kids to London and this. And I'm like, yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> so we'll see, but that's one of them. And then more, um, internal, I guess to me is I would like to get as close to the three hour mark as possible. I, I don't have a set time. Um, you know, I don't need to see a two. I don't need to, I just want to keep getting better and faster just because it's one of those things that I just don't ever believe until I actually broke three thirty that I could do. And then when I did it, I was like, okay, what's the next thing that you kind of don't think you can do. So I just want to keep trying to get closer and closer to that. I love it. So those are two great, big goals and you're halfway home on the six star. And, um, as far as, you know, the travel stuff in the family, you guys will work that out. Um, a lot of my mom married friends with kids, you know, some of them, they do the whole group. Um, and they generally pick just as you talked about either London or Berlin, cause it's just a, an easier trip. Tokyo is an amazing place. It is easily my favorite place I've ever visited. I've been there three times and only once to race. So, and I've been there for extended periods where I traveled all over. It is just an, an unbelievably spectacular place to visit. And there's so much culturally and to see these temples that are thousands of years old. It's just, it's really a special place, but I think London will easily be the easiest one to do the group travel with because it's just an easy place to get in and out of and just so many hotels and, you know, to, to do from the family side. And I have great charity connections um, at London and Berlin. So I have easy ways to get you into those races um, if you can't, because there's no way for an American to time qualify unless you qualify for the World Age Group Championships. And to do that, you got to be a master's runner. So you have to be over 40 for that to be in play for you. So that's the only way you can get into London. And that's only in the years when they're hosting the World Age Group Championships. Unless you're a Brit, of course, then you have good for age, which is G for <laughs> GFA. And, you know, it sounds like some standardized test we took in grade school, but, you know, right. <laughs> that's that's what GFA it sounds, sounds like to me like some number two pencil test. I probably failed it. Um, probably none probably was like yelling at me or something. I might've got hit with a ruler. Who knows? Um, all kidding aside, I actually did pretty well in school. My mom wouldn't allow anything but A's, man. It was just like, you didn't, you did not want to piss off my mom. It was like, you better come home with straight A's or it was big trouble. I need that fear in my boys because they, my daughter is great. She's like pretty much straight A's and my boys on the other hand are like, what? Like a, a, a C's, a C's fine. Like that's average. <laughs> I love it. No, <laughs> renegade boys, man. They're tough to be reeled in. So I still don't know how my mom at eighty nine, you know, kept the three of us. I have no idea. I mean, I actually know her secrets, but I can't reveal those in a podcast. So <laughs> she's also due to come on at some point, which uh, there have been many requests for. We got to get, we got to get Mama McCabe yeah. Romano on here for sure. Um, but that's great. Those are huge goals. So they're, and they're attainable. And I love the fact, um, I preach to people all the time, you know, this is the beauty of having your own show. You can preach, you know, you know <laughs> people are in the front row. You don't even have to donate, you know, you don't have to give any money to the calls. I mean, <laughs> I don't have a Patreon page. Am I looking for any cash? I don't take any sponsorship dough. This is like all out of pocket for me, man. It's like a losing proposition, but the most fun you could ever have in life. And, you know, when I preach this stuff, it's like, you know what? stop getting hung up on just a number. It's a terrible thing. I love that you're not looking at it that way because I've seen more people crash and burn 
and disappoint themselves because they get hung up with only the round number. I need to break 40 minutes in the 10K or I won't be a happy person. I assure you, you are not going to be a happy person if you run 39.58 versus 40.12. That's not going to make you happy. The rest of your life is what's going to make you happy. Are you going to feel really good about that number saying 39? I'm not not debating that. I feel just as good as you. I might have felt better than you because I've broken all those round numbers somewhere along the way, but I've also had some that I just couldn't break. I couldn't break 240 in the marathon. I had 12 or 14 that were with a 240, 241, just couldn't get under that number. And I just felt like I was failing. It's not a failure. It's ridiculous. But that's how I looked at it when I was 35 and 36 and 37, which by the way, was a pretty late start in running. I was a college baseball player, but it's amazing how we can allow ourselves to look at something that's really hard to do, incredibly hard to do. And we should be thinking super positive thoughts about ourselves, but because of some stupid round number, if I don't break three hours, I haven't hit my bet. No, to be the best version of yourself is to get the most out of yourself. Right. You know, that's what Goggins is all about, man. It's the man in the mirror, it's the lady in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, whatever. Who knows what the I don't know any pronoun shit. I don't know anything, (laughs) man. I'm like the least politically correct person you're ever going to be. But whatever the hell is the correct thing to say, Give me some grace, people, man. I mean, no <laughs> harm to anyone, okay? But it's the person you're looking at in the mirror. That's the person you are trying to be better than, than yesterday, last week, a month before. And it doesn't, better doesn't mean faster. It just means the best of yourself at that moment in time. That's what's better. That's what's better. I mean, I could not have had more fun in that Boston race. I could not have had more fun. It's not possible. That doesn't mean that if I ran faster, some, we all do it, man. There's no way that if I ran a faster time, I wouldn't have somehow attached, you know, more awesomeness to that event. It's just human nature. It's the way we are, but it doesn't mean that I didn't have an amazing day. I did. Um, And you know what? You You have to learn how to separate those things. It's not just the time, it's the experience. And it's about making yourself, you talked about it before. I say it all the time on the show. It's it's the make make yourself the best version of yourself. That's it. You'll be the best mom. You'll be the best brother. You'll be the best dad, the best business partner. You know, when you have all that working together, and it doesn't mean the number is 258 is going to make you that. What it is, is you're going to just feel way more content about yourself because you pushed yourself so hard and you're, you're making all these sacrifices, right? You still have all your family obligations. You're a mom. Moms are badasses. Moms rule the roost, man. Where are we without our moms, people? We are nowhere. We are fucking zero without moms. So we, we're not getting anything done in life without our moms. So let's, and if you're not taking care of your moms at home, I'm coming to get you, man. I'm coming for you, man. And your sons better, they better get it together, man. We better clean that shit up. So I'm coming down there, man. I'll, I'm going to be like, listen, man, this isn't going to cut it, man. You don't want Grandma Rose popping over here because, you know, you guys will be in the doghouse like that. They'll be like, what? C's? What? No, no, no. That's not going to fly. Or just take them on long runs, man. Take them out with you, man. I'm trying. I'm trying to get them. They're all basketball. Well, my youngest is football lately, but basketball. I'm like, you still got to run in basketball. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you know, they got to find that. They got to find their way there on their own. You know, my ex was a great marathon runner and I coached her and uh, that's how we met. 
And, you know, we wanted, just like every mom and dad, you always want your kid to do something you both did. And he just wanted nothing to do with it. I was just thankful he wanted to play baseball and I was coaching him. But, you know, running around the bases and doing stuff, he was like, cool with that. But he was like, no. And then it was amazing that in high school, out of nowhere, he was just like, dad, I'm going to go out for the cross country team. Will you help get me in oh. shape? And I was like, what? What did what? you? Wait, what did you just say? Hold, <laughs> wait a minute. He's asking me to, not his mom. It's like, wait, I, did I hear this right? I was like, you want me to help you run? I was like, oh God, what? The best four years of my oh. life going to his cross countries with his mom. We're super close. And because, you know, I'd be out there, all the other moms and dads would be hanging out before the races. And I'd be off like in Van Cortland Park, like running the course and running the hills. And then the kids would be like, hey, you going to do the warm up with us? And all the moms and dads just give me the dirty look. Like I'm the bad guy. I'm like, I'm saying, hey, what do you want from me? They want me to go run a couple of miles more. I'm, like, I'm not going to say no. I'm like, all right, I'm in, you know, but that's, you know, that's all past history now. You know, he's 24. He probably doesn't want to really run with his dad anymore. You know, it's like, yeah, it's okay, dad. You stay in. New York City. I'm up here in Vermont. It's all good. Maybe it'll change as he gets a little older. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. And same with your kids. You know, they may go from basketball at one point to be like, all right, let's be like mom. Let's do some runs. Maybe. Well, uh, fingers crossed, right? <laughs> Yay. That's that's all we can hope for. So we covered a lot. Uh, we know some big future goals for you. We know you just had an awesome experience up in Boston. Anything else that we didn't get to? Oh, I know. I always like to ask people about community service, uh, about giving back, because it's something really important. It's near and dear to my heart. I like to do a lot of charitable stuff. So what about for you? What's something that you like to do within the community or something that resonates with you that's important that you are currently involved with? So I've got a few. Um, I'm a speech language pathologist. And so I do a lot of work with children with special needs and uh, various diagnoses, so autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy. So I do a lot of volunteering and service work in a professional capacity with various organizations around town in that regard. Um, and then another organization that my family tends to volunteer with in some way, shape or form, but a lot of times um, what we, well, before COVID, we would go on Christmas Eve and volunteer in the kitchen at a local Ronald McDonald house our youngest was in the NICU when he was born for almost three weeks and they were a wonderful organization and they've actually helped a lot of friends as well. So just, you know, thinking of those families that are having a child in the hospital over the holidays and things, it's nice to be able to say, okay, we're going to bring in a nice meal and serve it and um, give back that way. But yeah, I think that giving back is one of the things that everyone should do in some way, shape or form. It's it's not something that is like a an option, in my opinion. I think everybody needs to be doing it just because that's what human beings w we should do. We should be helping each other <laughs> all of the time because we're all going to need help at some point in our life. So that's my, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Community service is so important. I love it. Um, and those are important things, uh, important ways to connect. Um, and certainly you have your unique skills. Um, you know, being an SLP, um, my son actually had dyspraxia. Uh, oh. When he was really young, he was talking um, at, a, at a very normal age or maybe even a little on the early side and then just stopped and it was really, I, I'm sure you know this, you know, with your credentials and, and you know, doing this for your life, 
um, it's probably one of the hardest conversations you'll ever have, you know, with your wife, with your husband. And then also you have your in-law. So it's not a conversation of just with one other person, you know, and we only had, that was our only son. So it's not like we had three other kids in any reference point. And I think you even joked about it because no one knows what they're doing on their first kid. Let's be honest. I mean, anybody out there that's acting like they do, please, let's not even go there. You have no idea what you're doing. Like, I mean, you just don't know. And that's the beauty of it, man. You actually figure it out on the fly. You actually learn how to operate with zero sleep. Like you just, and then at some point you're just like, wow, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty good at this dad thing. This is pretty cool. <laughs> and of course, moms, it's different. I mean, my God, you're carrying us into the world and you just have this different connection and relationship to it that dads can't, but that doesn't mean that we don't love our kids as much or that we're not super involved. But you know, I remember those conversations and his nanny, who was an amazing, you know, figure in my son's life, you know, kept talking about how her oldest son didn't start talking to us like two. And she kept bringing up Albert Einstein and her son was Albert. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to hear about Albert. And I don't want to hear about Albert Einstein or anybody else. Like I, my son was talking like it's one thing if he wasn't talking and still wasn't talking, he was talking. And even right. though it might've just been blurting out dad or mom in church, he was doing that. And then he, right. all of a sudden he wasn't. And to, you know, what a, what a noble profession, because I can tell you firsthand without the early exposure that we got him after doing a lot of diagnostic testing to make sure there wasn't anything else seriously wrong. Um, I still have those tapes. They're on VCR. I couldn't understand my own son was saying, you know, not even, not even having a clue what sounds he was making or what was happening at first to a kid who speaks fluent Mandarin now, who's a concert pianist and a conductor and a composer and music played a huge role for him. He got involved with kinder music, you know, occupational therapy, as you know, is a big thing. Sensory yes. is a big thing for kids that are, are struggling because dyspraxia for anybody who might be interested in this part of the conversation. And I hope you are. Um, it's like a person having a stroke basically for, you know, I don't probably not explaining it correctly, but that's kind of how I always viewed it because you just can't get the mouth and the tongue and everything you need to coordinate for speech to come out right to get into the right positions. And here he is, you know, a year plus old, 14 months old, 15 months old, and going through all of this stuff. But music like changed everything for him and for us because he just became comfortable on a piano and with an instrument and then tactile touching and sand and all these. I still remember all these things that he had to do. And I was just like, I don't know what any of this is, but I know that this isn't my life and this is not what I do for a living. So I'm putting all my faith in God and these people. So yeah, God bless you. That's beautiful. Oh, it's, it's, and what a testament to early intervention and multiple types of treatments working together. And I agree with you a hundred percent music and a lot of the creative side of life and activities that plays such an important part in habilitation and rehabilitation of things that that aren't necessarily creative and are op- happening on opposite hemispheres of the brain and it's things that a lot of times people may say like oh, we're, we don't, we're not doing music I'm not going to sing about this you know that's silly I feel silly singing and it's like it's what's going to help your child <laughs> it's, it's what you needs to happen yeah. <laughs> so let's go <laughs> yeah step up you know, put your ego away. Let's not get too embarrassed about it. No one really cares how you sound. If you have to go in the shower, just do whatever you do. 
Um, but I just, I know, and I do know some friends who have, um, you know, a close friend, Dr. Bill, who just ran the Boston Marathon with his son, Logan. He has Angelman syndrome. Oh, and yeah. I know how much music impacts him. And I've seen it firsthand. He has a little guitar that he strums, you know, when he's in the chair. And I see his face light up when he hears music. And my son has played um, piano and like Facebook Live and stuff over Christmas or and sang. Wow. Um, and people, you know, people are moved by music. It, it's, um, yeah. it's just such a key for us um, to help us emotionally. So God bless, man. That's great work you're doing. And I can't believe that just kind of came out just out of the blue. Um, and I'm so glad I asked you about it because um, you, that's such an important way that you can make a difference in your life um, with somebody because, you know, there's without early intervention, you know, I distinctly remember, you never forget these words as a parent. You're looking at someone who's telling you he might be able to go to mainstream school, might be able to go to mainstream school to a gifted and talented program to Regis High School in New York City, which is literally probably the hardest Catholic high school in the United States to get into. Like thousands wow. of kids test, they take a few hundred. Sports have no bearing, they couldn't care. If you're an all-state athlete, you will never, the school's about service, giving back, it's a Jesuit school, and it's about academics, and it's about service for others, being men for others. And um, so his journey, like where he came from in life, only became because of people like you and your profession and um, and early intervention. So God bless. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a passion for sure. And it's, again, one of those things that, you know, it's a formative path in my life. I can't imagine as much as I can sometimes complain about the stress of healthcare and education and all of that right now in the, well, not even right now, but in years past that it's the, it's the kids, it's the families and seeing the progress that they make. And then knowing, like, I just had a, a child I worked with, um, when he was three years old and he is like, you mentioned people telling him, you know, are you that he may get to do this and he may get to do that. Well, this client has, you know, exceeded any type of prognosis that anybody ever in the, in his kind of um, educational path set for him. And he's now studying at an engineering school and, and doing awesome in his first semester during the middle of a global pandemic too, no less. So it's just one of those things that it's like, if we start early and build kids and families up to their potential, instead of saying no, and we're cutting services and things aren't going to happen and you'll never, all of that, that drives me crazy. Um, their, their possibilities are endless, you know, what they can accomplish. But God bless. So <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's beautiful stuff. And I'm so glad we, uh, we got to that, um, in the end, cause I like the end, the end is important. Um, it's a, it's a good place, um, to wrap unless there's anything else we didn't get a chance to cover for you, you know, that's important to you or near and dear that you want to want to do a shout out to anybody or anything else. You know, this is, this is your spot before we, uh, get ready to roll out. I just want to say thank you for having me and, you know, the, the running community is so awesome. I hope that we get to have this kind of conversation in person in Boston again or somewhere else and, you know, share a shakeout run or something like that. So thank you. I just, I, I haven't met a runner that I didn't absolutely love and enjoy their company. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. We're a different breed and listen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your awesome story because it is amazing incredible. Obviously running is a big part of who you are, a huge, huge part of who you are, but it's all of you as a human being 
you know, that's the story. Um, that's the larger story, the broader story. And I know it will inspire people hearing, you know, where you've come from and where you're at today in your life and how big a role running played in all of it, you know, to get you to where you are today, to be the best version of yourself. So thank you for sharing. Uh, I know it will inspire and I appreciate your time so much. Oh, thanks, Ron. <laughs> and as we close out every episode, we tell everybody to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was such a fun convo. We had a lot of laughs, and there's so much inspo in Melissa's story. She's had so many big obstacles and challenges thrown her way, you know, starting from her college years and has just kind of come through it all stronger, more resilient, um, more determined, more focused in every way. And I think the other challenges she's faced in life, you know, having a special needs child um, has really made her think a lot more about giving back, not only with her profession as a speech language pathologist, but also within the community. Um, and they're deeply embedded there and they put a lot of focus on that. So, you know, kudos to you, Melissa. Keep doing the, the great things that you're doing, um, not only with your running and sharing your running journey, but also um, on the community um, service level, because that stuff's really important and really resonates. So if this episode moved you in any way, whether you just thought it was fun or funny or inspiring because of the many challenges Melissa's overcome, take a moment, let us know in the comments uh, what you enjoyed um, and what, you, what your takeaways were, what your key takeaways were. And if you have a minute, um, take the time to rate the episode on Apple Podcasts, uh, write a quick review. It really helps us get more people involved with run chats and get them on the platform and it means so much so thank you all we continue to get great reviews and people sharing comments like that after each episode and it means so much to me thanks so much and as we say at the end of every episode keep lacing them up keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight my friends peace out